Hey guys, it's Matilda Pearl. We've lost too many lives on our roads this year through risks that weren't worth taking. So I've teamed up with the TAC and other artists to use live music as a way of highlighting that life without your mates is as quiet as music without a band. So take extra care out there and let's keep the band together. G'day, this is Alex Leahy and welcome to this special bonus episode of Always Live. What you're about to hear is me being interviewed by one of the writers of this podcast, Mikey Carl. It's a bit of a warts and all chat recorded in the Soundbox. Soundbox was a custom-made studio cube built right in the heart of Melbourne on the Art Centre forecourt next to the Australian Music Vault. With transparent windows in the studio, anyone walking past could hear and see what was going on in front of and behind the mic. It was a very different experience, but something that was also pretty cool. So let's jump in and hear how it went. Welcome, boys and girls. Ladies and gentlemen, however you identify. Hello, two lovely people on the street. That's you guys. Give us a wave. Thank you. Hey. I'm with Alex Slahey, Need Leahy. My name is Mikey Carl. Um, how are you going today? I'm going great. How are you awesome. going? Yeah, honestly, my voice, let's all, you know, there's good news and bad news here. The bad news <laughs> is very obvious. I my voice is cooked and the idea of being on a podcast for 49 minutes is going to be um, it's gonna be fine because we'll make fun of me. It's going to be good. It's going to be great. We'll get through it together. I've just come from Adelaide where I DJed before the Killers Day in the Green. I'm tuning my own home. I've had a great time and I've had such a lovely – and I went to my mum's birthday today and that's been really, really lovely and I've come here – what have you been doing? I feel like your weekend has been far more impressive but yours is than about mine. To get better. It is. It is about to get really, really, really good. In fact, it already is. But um, it's nice to be in Melbourne. It's really nice to see the city, in particular, pumping. Mm. I feel like there was a lot Oof. of concern about the city for a while, and will it come back, dude? Better than ever, I reckon. <laughs> it's so good. Any time of the day, any day of the week, it's just awesome. It's such a great vibe, Melbourne. If you're listening, you're in career best form, according to Alex Slayhe. Um, we are here for the Always Live podcast, the bonus episode. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening. Your involvement with the podcast has been pretty amazing. Like, I feel like you've just—it's giving you that extra kind of step up which is oh, thanks, more, Mikey. more being look, kind of looking like just that little extra kind of like tick of like, this is our girl. So tell me about the experience of doing, cause it's been like weekly therapy in a way for me in a little way, just the, just the chat. I've loved it. Like it's nice to be telling stories, you know? Mm. And I feel mm. like so much of my job as an artist and a songwriter is doing just that, like mm. whether it's through the songs themselves or just on stage and all that kind of thing. And it's really cool to, kind of still have the mic but be telling stories in another way and also be telling other people's stories I've had such a good time and especially when you know I'm someone that's so passionate about live music in Melbourne it's an enormous part of my identity and to be able to give a stage and a platform to the history of that for so many people and for the city itself mm. it's unreal I drove past the Corner Hotel on the way here while I'm in oh, Somalia yeah. and cab driver was like just dropping the banging beats, sent you a video and I was thinking, oh yeah, I remember Alex saying you never forget your first, the first time you sold at the corner and did a show there. Take us, take us back before that, we'll get to the corner. Take us back to like the first gig that you ever saw in Melbourne that is really, like, really impactful Yeah, and then we'll talk about the first gigs you played if that's okay. I mean the first real gig that I went to was an underage show uh, at the Palace it was actually a really good triple bill. It was The Living End on their State of Emergency tour. It's The Living End, Red Riders, and End of Fashion. 
I think it was actually the billing order was living end, end of fashion Red Riders and it was unreal. And I will never forget how loud it was. Probably no louder than anything that I've heard now, but my virgin ears were, uh, you know, had never heard those frequencies before. Like there is literally nothing like, you know, hearing a live band through a PA like that in a room of that kind. And it was amazing. It was mind-blowing. Where were you standing? Do you remember where you were standing at the gig? I reckon I was standing, I reckon I was sort of near the front of house desk, I think. A little bit of elevation, probably sipping on a Sprite or something. Like a bad man. (laughs) And, um, yeah, and just having this, like, spiritual experience basically, you know, feeling the frequencies and the energy just all through my body, you know, when you mm. feel the kick drum in your in your mm. heart and all that kind of stuff, it's it's amazing. First time I ever had that was watching Nine Inch Nails play Closer at Alternative Nation, um, which is like the one-off. That it was like a big day at Rival and it never went on because it was pissing down rain so they didn't make any money. But it was Faith and More, Nine Inch Nails, uh, Ween, Pop Lead itself, Lou Reed, Violent Femmes, L7. It was a stack Whoa, lineup. that's yeah, sick. Dude, it was crazy good. And then coming Tea Party, coming out at the – like nearly the end of the night, is and just right in the ribs, as you say. Yeah. It was slightly concerning as a 17 year old boy. Yeah, you're like, what is this? It was Easter Sunday, Tool played, and Tool said Amazing. this. They go, it was Easter Sunday, tickets were $66.60. He goes, today's the birthday of a little thief named Baby Jesus. Like, oh my God. Like, oh, I'm feeling, I'm loving this, but I'm really, you know, um, yeah, bus replacement therapy. Anyway, that's it. It's a great, great story and great. Thing that you felt. Mm. What songs? So, Prisoner of Society. Did you mosh? Were you crowd surfing? No, I wasn't crowd. I've actually never crowd surfed before. What? Get, yeah, I know. We need to change that, Scoop. but I haven't done it. But um, just had such a great time there, and I remember just like all of the you know Prisoner of Society, all that kind of stuff. It was unbelievable, and also like just the showmanship of that band. I mean, mm. Scott Owen getting on the double bass. You know, Chris Jenny's one of, if not the best guitar player in Australia and has been for decades. It's just unreal. And, um, yeah, it was a really great first gig. Mm. Yeah. So you went to the Palace and you saw that. What's the next one that sticks out in your mind of, like, this is what I want to do? Like when you had that moment of, like, oh, maybe I could do something like that. Did it happen at that gig or is it? I don't think it happened at that gig. I do remember having a pretty formative experience at, and I feel like this festival only went for a couple of years, but Point in the Pan Music Fest. Do you remember that? No, I remember the name. But I yeah, feel like it. maybe it was a sister festival to Blues Fest, maybe. Yep, um, sister. Mm, but I remember it being such a diverse and eclectic lineup and so much like different music being played by different people and a lot of women were playing as well, which was mm. unreal. Mm. And, you know, I was this kid who was playing saxophone at high school and loving it. I had a great mm. time playing mm. sax. But my heart was in songs, yes. you know, and I was this kid play, like practicing saxophone in my bedroom with Ramones posters on the wall. You know, it was sort of like so contrary to, to myself in a way. And I just remember seeing like a bunch of different artists there. I think there was like the Jules Holland Orchestra and Brandy Carla and like I think even like maybe Katie Tunstall was there and, and that kind of stuff. And, and it was just so diverse and I was really taken aback by that. And I just remember thinking it like – I can kind of do whatever I want, you know, like I can, I can find a way to make something work and you don't have to be like a cookie cutter type of artist. You can Mm. sort of forge your own path. So Mm. I thought that that was really exciting and that really stuck with me and 
you know, the great thing about festivals is that ultimately you don't really know what you're going to see, you know, and whether it's an international touring act coming to town or a local artist like playing an earlier set or having like the biggest set of their lives, it's really special as, a, as an audience member and especially as a young person being mm. there. You get exposed to so many things. Something about a coastal festival as well gives that extra kind of salty yeah. air. There's a freshness to it that he puts you yeah. in different headspaces. Yeah, hey. it was amazing. It was, it was. You could see the ocean from there. I'm pretty sure. What? Um, and it was, yeah, really, really beautiful. So they, yeah, they had a festival called Solar Festival. I think on the same site yeah. as you you speak of. And I went. I danced for um, Panau that day as a wild strawberry. Yeah, yeah, Good yeah. fun. And then the presets were headlining. You and I played earlier, and you and I said, like, you did this weird speeches, like, we are currently low on the totem pole of Australian <laughs> live music because they were, like, 4 o'clock in the afternoon yeah, and they right. were amazing. Someone threw a bra, he, put, he took his top off, he put a bra on. It was a really cool set and it was a very much like you and I kind of going, all right, Jet's really hot right now, mm-hmm. but we're here and they've gone back up. Obviously, you and I sort of went back up after that. But I guess the reason I'm telling the story is um, Nick Littlemore from Padawa, before the presets, but he goes, fuck the presets. <laughs> like, oh, my God, there's beef there. Holy Jeez. shit. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I brought it up with the presets four years later in an interview and they're like, did he? Oh, we missed it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what? Where did you sort of cut your teeth uh, playing music? Obviously, An- Animo was a big part of your life. Yeah. I mean, that was that was it. You know, yeah. Animo was where I cut my teeth and we did a lot of gigs. We played a lot of gigs. We were never on the radio and we had a lot of fun. That was where I learned you know that was my biggest musical education for sure being Mm. in that band and it was a gift you know it was Mm. such a gift that um that it was the love of my life for those those years how long it was amazing i mean i was doing it from when i was about 18 to 25 maybe it was like a good it's a decent chunk yeah that's longer than i thought it was a while yeah and it was it was amazing and it was basically me and a bunch of friends from high school we used to play in the school big band together and we didn't want to stop so we just started this band it was great and we played a lot at the Evelyn Hotel and that yes. is sort of my like the church of Melbourne music to me um is Mary, that is that spot Mary sorry talk over you um Mary yeah. Mihalakos makes a great point now in, in our podcast let's do it on the plane yesterday the Evelyn probably doesn't get enough cred doesn't get enough oh, like, props and the owners don't want it. She organised a big kind of like Hall of Famey kind of thing. They're like, nope, we don't want to. We're not interested in it. They're John, just, come on, man. Yeah, <laughs> Take yeah. The cred. I know. Super interesting. So, when did you go back to the Evelyn and play it just under your name? I've only ever done it once or twice. I remember. I think the first time I did it under my own project was I did a solo set supporting series. And um, they used to do a Christmas party every year. I'm not sure if they still do it, but they were doing it, and and I got to play solo with them, which was super fun. And then most recently was we threw a Christmas party, like myself and my team threw a Christmas party where we turned the Ev into the Best of Luck Club, which was sort of this concept for a record I had. And, um, oh, shit, actually I didn't even play that. Animo played that. But I hosted it. So I like hosted the show but Animo played. You had a curatorial role. Yeah, yeah, and that was really fun. Because, you know, that band, especially at that venue, was a real cornerstone for a lot of people's weeks when they were at uni and that sort of thing. So it was nice to sort of recreate that, which was great. The Ebb's unreal and it's, you know, an institution as far as I'm concerned, whether or not they want that credit. Um, (laughs) Too late. But, yeah, so that's the spot for me. With your career, tell us about that moment you felt like, oh, shit, this is bigger than Animo and I need to pursue this and bye-bye Animo. Was it? Uh, I I don't think it, it was as sort of like black and white as that. I think basically it was a pretty natural transition for me and, and it sort of naturally kind of fizzled out. Um, 
yeah, when my, my attention was sort of driven elsewhere, it, it um, yeah, it just sort of was a natural kind of fade out or yep. crossfade <laughs> rather yep. into, into my own stuff, which um, I'm really grateful for. You know, I'm really mm. grateful it wasn't like some drama or anything like that. You know, like as far as anyone's concerned, like anime never broke up. Like, you yep. know, it just sort yep. of like it just kind of stopped. And I remember like when I started touring quite a bit with my own project and we had an animo show it was at the workers club and i was just about to, the band had walked on stage and i was just about to walk on stage to front animo for the first time in a really long time and i remember just being like i've forgotten how to be in a band <laughs> you know wow. but it, then it comes back and it's and you bring something new to it you know when you've been sort of exercising different muscles and yeah it's cool i just love making music and i love playing in bands and you know it's that's the greatest gift that music gives you is those relationships with other people and whether they're on stage with you or working behind the bar or Mm. coming to the shows or whatever. Like Mm. it's, it's a true gift. Triple J and Pitchfork have both got something in common. They've both got a bit of a Messiah complex, a bit of a look at me, look at me. I'm the greatest kind of thing, which has helped their success. Yep. Um, I'm getting to a point here. Triple J being hugely helpful for you. Mm. Yep. And this is like the podcast's views do not reflect that of the person being interviewed. Pitchfork, similarly, a big moment happened for you when um, Mr. Schreiber was listening. He was was on Triple J and someone played them the song. I I always get this name of the song wrong. Give it a go. God, I can't even. I try not to look at my notes for a whole hour. I don't think you like people like me. Close. You don't think you like people like me. Thank you. And he he heard the song and he loved it and he made it Pitchfork, Best New Music, which tell us where you were because that's a real kind of moment in your life. Like when that happened, like no one can ever take that away from you. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, it was very lucky and I remember like obviously because it's a US publication so I was asleep when it came out and I remember waking up and looking at what I was tagged on on Facebook or something and this thing had happened and I was up really early for some reason and I was like, oh, my God. And, um, you know, as a fan of the publication and also like as a fan of indie music and sort of being aware of what that meant, I was completely taken aback by it and Mm. you start getting a few calls here and there, you know. And that was sort of like what let the dominoes fall to lead me to touring more internationally and releasing records, you know, outside of Australia, which I'm so thankful for because that's always been the dream, you know, and it helped me get there. But it's really cool that... And I'm obviously very grateful to Triple J for, you know, showing it to Ryan. Yeah. Um, and it's also incredible. Like, now I do spend a lot of time overseas now and I've got a lot of friends who make music around the world. And when they ask about Triple J and I tell them, I'm like, well, it's this government-funded radio station yeah. that, like, yeah. you know, platforms a lot of local independent artists and that's kind of their MO. And they're like, what? Like, that's yeah, that's, it's pretty wild that's, when you zoom that's out. That's insane. I'm like, yeah, it, it is, I guess. Like, you know, and and they're like, that's that's pretty incredible. So, like, for all of the opinions that people have about the station mm. and whatever's on it, like, at the end of the day, it's it's a pretty amazing thing that it exists. It does and a lot of good. Yeah, it a does. Lot of good. Yeah, and, like, the mission is solid. I'm, again, really grateful for it, and I think that we're really fortunate that we have something like that around. So, Yeah. It's easy to throw stones at Triple J and there's a certain level of solidarity you want to give to your friends and your artists who perhaps aren't getting enough play. And my friend Dave Faulkner from Hootie Gurus is like, I fucking hate Triple J. Like he's been against them for quite a while. And he's like sort of, and a part of me is like, yeah, Dave. And I'm like, oh, well, no, 
you know, things move on and the whole remit is, you know, to appeal to a certain demographic. So, yeah, I love defending Triple J because <laughs> I think it's, it's, it needs to be done. Like, yeah, it's, it's got to be a nice balance, like just like life. And, you know, and that's why I like having a really strong live scene is so important as well because, yeah. like, there shouldn't ever be one avenue. And the beautiful thing about music in Melbourne and, like, playing around Melbourne is that you can develop, like, a really meaningful and sustainable following from just playing and, like, and you develop community and that's amazing. It's it's a beautiful thing and I think that that's something that Melbourne really has in droves, mm, mm. maybe more than some places within Australia or, or around the world. Maybe every other place in the world. I mean, <laughs> facts I mean, facts. arguably, yeah. No argument here, my friend. That's good. But I'd love to just ask about with Gordy, the artist, uh, who we love. You did a song called Dino's? Yes. Yeah. Tell me about the energy of a relationship going into the, in, into the energy of a studio where you both have the things you do and you know your strengths, everything. Tell me how easy or how hard it was. I mean, pretty easy. Like I think you don't take that for granted. But, yeah, a very organic process and just like it's just fun to make music with people that you, you know, they, love, quite like, well. get on with, mm. go well, have history with. Like mm. it's a really cool thing. Mm. So, yeah, it, it was – um a really nice thing to share and, yeah, it was great. Tell me about, and this is probably my last question about Gordy, a long-term relationship, I've never done it and this is, this is sort of off music and mm. you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. I've never successfully or never had to do a long-term relationship. How does it work? Does it work well? Oh, man. I mean, I guess it depends. I mm. don't feel like, you know, yeah, I don't know. I feel really lucky that I'm making it work. Yeah. We're making it work, so, yeah. Yeah, stoked. Well done. Let's go to the corner, the corner mm. hotel. Approximately when did you play there and, and sell it out or, you know, have a big show? I think the first time we did it was like for myself was – it was for my first record. So it must have been like October 2017 or something like that. And it was fantastic. Like, you know, growing up in Melbourne, like the corner is – the moment you turn 18 or the moment you appear to have turned 18, you are at the corner, you know. Mm -hmm. That's where everyone who is who is anyone or is becoming mm -hmm. anyone plays. And um, it's you, such you have a, to rock the toad but you also have to like when you go up, yeah. you got to do the corner. Sorry it's it's sort of like the last, uh, maybe not the last, but it's definitely of the like upper echelon of the club venues yes. like in Melbourne, yep. you know, between that and, and what's now 170 Russell, like they're yep. kind of the head honchos of that kind of tier. Yep, spot on. Um, head honchos was good. So, um, yeah, so doing the corner for me, like as someone who had been to countless shows there was just like a real I did it moment. So, yeah. Do you get nervous before you go on stage? Um, it depends on the show. It depends on the circumstances of the show, mm. whether there's a new song or, mm -hmm. you know, maybe I'm playing with someone new or it's a new format or there's someone particular in the crowd or someone not in the crowd. Like, you know, it's it depends from show to show. I know, like, coming back into playing shows after not playing them for so long with the pandemic, um, it took a bit of recalibration to settle into it. But... Yeah, I think like uh, frequency is key <laughs> for sure. Yes, yeah, yeah. Let's keep going with, you, with your career because I'm super, super into it. When you came back and saying recalibrated, how much of it do you reckon was like the different energy from the audience? Because so much of the energy from the audience is what makes you perform. I really felt that people were just really grateful to be there, which is great. Mm. It's funny because I talked to some other artists and maybe who don't play as like 
uh, heavy, not that my music is particularly heavy, but like as it sort rocks. of like stand up and jump around music, like some artists are like limited capacity seated venues actually worked great. <laughs> um, so, you know, like there were pros and cons to the whole thing for sure. But mm. I just think like for me in particular, like coming back and playing shows, especially in, in Melbourne, it was like, and nature is healed kind of yeah, moment, yeah, you know. Yeah. And and there is still like, you know, certain things that are a bit different, whether it's like people still getting sick and maybe the bar is understaffed or, you know, mm. there are still a ways to go with certain things and mm. adjustments to be aware of. But I think like overall, you know, it's just really nice to have this like truly central part of like our city's identity like mm. back. Restored. Yeah, exactly. Even if you don't go to a gig, to hear someone, one of your friends talk about, I went to Karangaman on the uh, weekend and like, and it was good, but it wasn't like, oh, did you tell me more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very nourishing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And you know things are right in the world. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a certain uh, equilibrium that gets restored. What's the best sit-down gig you've ever been to, Alex Leahy? Oh, that's a great question. I remember seeing Missy Higgins touring her second record at the Palais and that was like, she was having like a moment, you know. Yeah. And it's so good to see. Was that what she humped ha- Hasselhoff? That the was Aries? the Arias. Yeah, I think that made my post-hump. post, post um, <laughs> But, you know, it's amazing like in hindsight looking back at a gig that you've seen and you're like, wow, that was like a moment for that person and how cool so is it cool. that I got to share that with them as an audience yeah. member. Yeah. Um, and the Palais is just magical and so much of Missy's imagery for those first couple of albums were St Kilda centric. I'm pretty sure the Scar film clip is like in a house in St Kilda, you know, or at least yep. it looks like it, that sort of art deco-y kind of look. And, yeah, it was a really, really special thing to kind of see. Have you had FaceTime with Missy? Yeah, I have. Cool. Talk, she's lovely. Tell us about it. Oh, she's just she's a lovely rad. person. Yeah, she's, she's great. And she's, yeah, like she is an artist um, and a songwriter, but she's also just like a person living life and it's and yep. it's really nice. I remember like my friend and and a producer I've worked with, Catherine Marks, an Australian or a Melbourne a Melbourne girl who lives in London now making records and she has this saying where she's like, there's rock and roll but life also happens, you know, and I think that that's like a, a really good humbling sort of way to live, like especially when you're performing so much and I feel like Missy's really good at doing that. She's a, she's a really great person. Completely. Yeah. Natural segue, what's the thing that you do that makes – rock and roll get a little bit littler in your life, you know? Yeah. So just, you know, contextualizing it. Oh, cool. If I don't have all the streams this, this month, who gives a fuck? It's interesting. Like it's, I feel like it's something that you have to like constantly come back to. It's a practice, you know, yep. to, when you make music, you don't do it because you kind of fell into it. You do it because you love it. And it's like, it's the core of your identity. And, mm. and you know, the way I feel about music, it's like, you know, you, die without it sort of thing but it is important to kind of like take the pressure off it because again if you're not enjoying it the only thing that's guaranteed about making music is that you're having fun and if that's taken away then you kind of have to think about why you're doing it and so for me it's about making sure that it is always like fun and like enriching my life in some way does that ever get lost i don't have a whole lot of hobbies outside of (laughs) making music no i've got a lot of I, i think the thing that keeps me grounded is that i have a lot of friends who don't make music which is really important i also um keep active in a way outside of music. I really like to run and that like clears my head. Do you and, do hill sprints? Oh, uh, I mean, if I really want to punish myself. <laughs> but like it, it's also a nice way to kind of, I was saying this to someone the other day that like, you know, when you run, 
the more you do it, you, the better you get at it and you and you sort of like feel the changes. Mm. Whereas music doesn't always feel that way, for better or worse, you know. Really? And I think it's really good to have something that you do just have like it's like the effort to outcome yep. kind of ratio yep. is always in line. Instant grat. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. like music isn't always like that, which is why you do it your whole life, you know, yep. which is why you never get, no one ever beats music. No one get, ever gets to the end of music. No one ever does something and, and it's like, wow. Well, <laughs> no I, one ever beats music. I did as that a marathon, you know, it's like it, it, you can't quantify it in the same way. So it is nice to have something that you actually can quantify. I think Kevin Parker's clock music, I will say that. You reckon he's beat it? No, it. no, Eric, he's very close too. Yeah. Very close. Brian Eno, there's a few out there, Kate Bush. They've ascended. They really have. They've mm. ascended and transcended. That's effing cool. All right, Geekwise uh, Festivals. Mm. We talk about labor festivals on the Always Love podcast, which you all stream. God bless you all. What is the first sort of pivotal festival moment you can remember? What was it? I'm trying to think of like a real moment. I remember, mm, and I'm trying to think of someone like Melbourne specific. Off the top of my head, I can't. But I do but I do feel that like I mean there's a lot of festivals out there. Um and a lot of them and a lot of them have a certain feel. Um and so it's so refreshing when you go to a festival that is of its own and of itself and has its own identity. And being from Melbourne, the festivals that I feel do that the best are, of course, Meredith and Golden Plains. Yep. And so, you know, going to both of those for the first time. And I've been many times since then, and mm. I know you're pretty much the patron saint of Meredith and no, Golden Plains. You don't say that. She's right. Um, but, you know, going to those and it's just, you know, the beauty of those lineups is that you don't know a lot of the people on it, but you go because it's of – education. Yeah, it's, it's education, it's, it's community, it's history, and it's an institution, you know. So, like, you just go. I think it renews your faith in humanity. Yes. You know, and yes. I feel like when you go to a Meredith or a Golden Plains, you are, you're kind of in this hive mind in a way, but mm. in a really restorative and constructive and mm. positive way. And for music to be the impetus for everyone being together, like how special is that? That's amazing. It's your deepest answer. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. It's, it restorative, is, it's spot on. What's the best thing you've seen at the amphitheater? Seeing Amel and the Sniffers there is pretty special. Yeah. But, like, I remember seeing Tallest Man on Earth did a set there once and it was, like, that was a boot set, you know. Yeah. And, um, and for those of you who don't know, the boot is a, uh, a beautiful thing that happens at Meredith when people think that they've seen the best show of the, the day. They take off their boot. Take off their boot. And they raise them high in the sky. The other act that I, that I really enjoyed there was a very – Ooh. Sort of early oh, Mac DeMarco <gasps> set, yeah. Yes. Were you at that one? I Where was he at like that one. he basically crowd surfed to the back of yep. the amphitheatre, yep. and then he ha- had to restring his guitar, and so his band played "Say It Ain't So" by Weezer. Say I think it, it was. So. Yeah. And, they, and they started doing some stand up, and it was like, "He's the guy. I loved you in Prison Break, bro." <laughs> yeah. like they, all of them just got very. Ch- it was in. like it was that like performance. It was unreal. Yeah. So um. <laughs> Yeah, I those are some very very memorable uh, Meredith and Golden Plains. Um, I think I think the Mac DeMarco one was a Golden Plains. I'm glad you reminded me. I haven't thought about that. And for I years. saw a very she very goes. early. Here she goes. That same year, I think it was like would have been, uh, you know, the year that Flume started. 
you remember that yep. one? And yep. it was just him in that black banner at the front. Yes, Amazing. yes. And he said at one stage, like deep in the set, he goes, you guys want to hear a new one? And I've never heard a crowd go more ballistic yeah. over the anticipation of him playing a new song. Like, yeah. And it was just, just yeah. absolutely. That was like the hyper paradise era sort yep. of thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So that was like, you know, I, I think that you, if you make the investment to go to Meredith or Golden Plains, I guarantee you whatever you go, there will be a moment like that and you're like, I saw X before they became Y and, you know, and, and you've got that for the rest of your motherfucking life. That's right. I thought Meredith was like a hippie festival. And I, when I got back from London uh, in 2006, I'm like, oh, Meredith, oh, yeah, it's probably. And then I went, it's like, oh, no, it's this is the shit. This is the good stuff. Oh, it's unreal. Yep, and it just it will continue to be for a long time. Book me. Watch. That's the uh, that's the that's the that's where we're going. <laughs> that's where we're going. Get with me this. get me on that stage. Vaughn, I want it. Vaughn the thirst Quinn. is real. The thirst is real. Um, what's the best regional venue you you play in, in Victoria? What's the one you like froth mm, on? Carova, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like now called Volta. We were there the other week, actually. Yep. When. I was playing, like first started playing live and engaging with the Melbourne live oh, This scene. is Alex Leahy, everybody, as you're walking past. This is Alex Leahy. Give us a wave. Friends. Not only was it like a really great time in like Melbourne live music, but I feel like Ballarat was having like a particular yep. golden era. Like yep. how Goldfields, like, uh, you know, and they, then Halton into Hunting Grounds, like all those kinds of bands are really coming up and it was a great time to not just be a musician from Ballarat but also be a musician from Melbourne going to Ballarat. Yep. And Carova is – oh, well, Volta is just a venue that you keep coming back to. It's yep. great. And you can yeah. have no one in there and it still feels good, you know, and it can yep. be rammed. You know, there sometimes I've I've played shows that, you know, in, ve- in venues that are sold out and I look at the crowd and I'm like, oh, I do not envy you. <laughs> like, like look out and you're like, that sucks. Wow. <laughs> Whereas like – over, it's pre-COVID as well, probably. Yeah, too, it's, yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, that just looks uncomfortable, yep. or it's not designed for this amount of people, or it's you know, over whatever. But like Corova, yep. whether it's only a handful of people there, or it's packed to the rafters, it's always yep. a great feel. Yeah. Yep. Sean Adams talks about uh, he booked the presets sort of eight months before they blew up, and yeah, right. Sixteen payers. This is in our podcast. Oh yeah, that's right. I remember. Payers. Yeah, I remember that. It's sort of the Sex Pistols gigs. Oh, I yeah, was there. I was there. Yeah, I was there. Yeah. No, you weren't because there were sixteen total yeah. payers. Statistically, you were not there. Yeah. <laughs> There is, there is no chance of that. Any, any sort of prediction? I've got five minutes to go. What do you kind of predict for the next sort of few years of the Victorian and Melbourne live music scene? I think that there are some things in the Melbourne music scene that are inevitable. Like I think that like pub punk rock is always mm. – it's, it's always here to stay, which is a beautiful thing. Mm. Um, and it takes many forms, which is great. I reckon that there is going to maybe be – and I feel like we haven't had this in a while, but like a bit of a – I feel like country music might come back. And I'm seeing that there's sort of this like urban cowboy scene. Yeah, that sort of camp country thing. Like yep. I reckon like there's Americana. a space for that. Yeah, yep, it's coming back. And there's sort of this like, yeah, like I said, this really cool wave of like Andy Golidge and Caitlin mm. Harnett and that sort of scene in yes. Sydney. And I'm waiting for it to hit here. I feel I like it's why it just, hasn't yet. I don't know, but I feel like it's just a matter of time. And I've been saying it for a really long time and it still mm. hasn't happened. Yes. Um, but, but I'm standing by it. And Henry Waggins has been flying the flag for a long time. He's been flying the flag for a long time. And he's got a new and record he's, coming he's out. He's done it great. And he's just, oh, what an yeah. interesting cat. He's the rhinestone, the rhinestone king of Melbourne. Tower of Song is such a fun, fun mm. show because it makes me, reminds me like, oh, I don't really country music. And I'm like, oh, I love four out of the last mm. seven songs. So. I think that there's something there. I remember when I was this is good. Like, this is a really good answer, by the way. Yeah, I, I remember when I, you know, again, when I was sort of coming up playing at the EV, like there was this 
incredible boom of like soul bands. Like Melbourne Soul was peak. Mm. Cactus Channel Haters, Coyote, mm, like mm. um, uh, what was it? Bombay Royale. Bombay like Royale. that. Remember that? Like soul that's, of Melbourne. Yeah, eighteen tracks. Exactly. Lance like Ferguson. And it was an incredible period of of music. And then yep. and then it sort of morphed into like your thirty seventies and that kind of thing yep. as well. Yeah. Um, joy. And that is like now Steady such a weather. strong established part of you know Melbourne cultural identity, and it's yep. amazing. Yeah. And, and so you wonder, it's like, yeah, what's next? Like obviously like punk music, you've got your Amels and the sort of tote alumni that like yep. that is so already deeply entrenched in the city and you wonder what, like what's next? What, yeah. what doesn't really have a platform right now that's going to get there and I do think that it is your sort of more country troubadoury, but maybe with that sort of like Orville Peck perform- performative kind of spin or maybe with something else, I don't know. I like where you're going with that because it's never one thing. It's no, always yeah. this with, with a twist. Yeah, yeah. And that's it's like Amel. the soul thing. You know, it was yep. it was that with a twist, and no one was doing it, and that's why no. Highest Cody are a global, Two-time Grammy you know, nominated. yeah, exactly. Just, like, there's those records. Yeah, I love the fact that you listen to those records in like the seventh or the eighth listen. You're like, oh, this is getting good. Yeah, then the fifteenth listen, it becomes part of your DNA. Yeah, exactly. It's freaking great. You know, they create an avenue for bands like Grumbin to come to Melbourne yep. and sell thousands and thousands of tickets and people yep. have a great time. Like it's it's amazing. It's a beautiful thing. To see Amal, uh, the Arias as well. Oh, incredible. Matt, like on live TV, just owning the moment. Giddy up. I'm just having yeah. a freaking go. Dude, the fa- like that's the mainstream. How sick is that? Yes, you know? yes. We're doing something, right? Yes. Yeah. That's a kind of good way to end, I reckon, my friend. On, yeah. on that sort of very positive and uplifting note, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you Likewise, in a very, Mikey. very easy always, way. Always, always, always a pleasure. You sound beautiful, by the way. Thank you so much. May but you never heal. You're like a brother to me. What's your song about brother? <laughs> I love you like a brother. Love you like a brother. Damn it, I had to 10 you minutes too, ago in my mind. You too. Alex Leahy, Mikey Carr signing out. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. listening to a bonus episode of the Always Live podcast, featuring an interview between myself and writer and music journalist Mikey Carl. It wraps up our look at Victoria's passionate live music scene and all the amazing people who make it what it is. But none of it happens without you, going out and supporting live music whenever you get the chance. The big names, the small names, and those artists who are yet to make a name for themselves. Keep up to date on some awesome live gigs coming soon to Victorian stages. Follow Always Live on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter or visit the website alwayslive.com.au. I'm Alex Leahy. Catch you at the next gig. Hey guys, it's Matilda Pearl. I couldn't do what I do without my band by my side, so don't do life without your mates by yours. Take care on the roads this summer, look out for each other and most importantly, let's keep the band together.